and perhaps keep a Bible open um, so that you can look at the text here later on as we continue. Um, this, this text that we're looking at this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, uh, is sometimes read at funerals because it addresses the question, what happens to believers after death? So let's hear now these words from Paul. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. May God bless the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Shall we pray? Lord, we do bow our hearts before you, and we ask that you would give us attentive spirits. Lord, we pray that you would encourage us this morning that we might be those who do not lose heart, even in the midst of trying times. Lord, help us to be encouraged, even as Paul was. For we ask it in the for the sake of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Growing up, I learned a prayer that perhaps you may have learned as well as, as a child. And it goes like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now here's the question this morning, though. Is that prayer a biblical prayer or not? Is that consistent with what the Bible teaches about what happens to believers after death? And my short answer to that question is, is yes, it is consistent with what Paul is writing here. But he, we need to say, though, is, is not writing a general treatise about what happens to believers after death. No, rather, he is defending his message. He's defending his ministry against some in the city of Corinth who are attacking his character and attacking his reputation. He spent a year and a half among the believers in Corinth. They knew, know who he is and what his ministry is about. But will they believe him now as he's writing? And when we stopped reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4 last Sunday, at the very end of that chapter, he was talking about why he and the other apostles do not lose heart and give up. Here's what he says if you want to look back to those verses at the end of chapter 4. 
16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal, they remain. And we mentioned last week that the things unseen are not inherently invisible. They're not forever invisible. No, they're just, they're not yet visible, is what Paul is saying here. They're not now visible, but one day they will be visible. And in one of the things if I can use such a word without being disrespectful, that will be visible, is God himself. God is invisible to people right now. You can't see him with your physical eyes, um, and that's why faith is needed. But Paul writes in another of his letters to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 17 of 1 Timothy, says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. So God is invisible now, but one day he will be visible to us. And we also mentioned last week that Paul's afflictions, his sufferings, were anything but light and momentary, at least from my perspective, and I would imagine from yours as well. And if you happen to watch the presentation this past Friday night, put on by the Voice of the Martyrs, they, they had three uh, people who had been imprisoned for their faith in Christ who have now been released, share their stories of their imprisonment. And one of those three people is, is Andrew Brunson, for whom we prayed for two years, who was imprisoned there in Turkey for two years. Another prisoner was also an American named by the name of Dan Bauman. And then the third was a man from Czechoslovakia. And by the way, if you missed this presentation, you can watch it. it, it, it can, it's able to be replayed. And it was well worth watching. Uh, I would add as well. But as Andrew Brunson and at least one of the other prisoners or former prisoners shared their story, they lost more than 50 pounds while they were in prison. And they lost sleep. And more than that, they lost heart and they lost hope. Two of them at least became suicidal while they were in, in prison. And, and as they talked about this, they also mentioned regaining faith and hope after reaching a low point of being suicidal and realizing that the worst that their, their persecutors could do to them was to take their very lives. And I don't mean to say that glibly. That's the ultimate sacrifice. That's, that's all anybody could possibly give. Uh, and the, the, sacri- the greatest sacrifice anyone could make for their Lord. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Well, we might ask, is martyrdom the cost of following Jesus? Is it the cost that all Christians are called to pay? Well, not all Christians, but it can be the cost for any particular Christian. And it was for most of the the apostles, those who were sent out directly by Jesus after he rose from the dead. How is it that Paul is able not to lose heart in the midst of great affliction? 
This is an important question for us as well, because I know many of us are losing heart during this pandemic. How is it that Paul is able not to lose heart in the midst of great affliction? He focuses his attention. He gazes intently upon the things unseen, including heaven. Rather than the things seen, his persecutors, his hard circumstances. And he says in our text this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, if you're wondering if I, were, I was going to get to that soon, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul uses three images or three pictures in this passage here. And the first one is a picture or an image of a tent. Most commentators agree that when he says the tent that is our earthly home, he's talking about his body his physical body, his earthly body, which he also describes as his outer self in verse 16. But then we get to the second half of verse 1, where he said, and there's less agreement about what he's talking about when he writes, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What is this building from God that Paul is talking about here? A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Is this building, for instance, a new resurrection body? Some commentators think that's what it is. But the problem with, with identifying that as the, the new and final resurrection body is that Paul in his other letters talks about their people receiving new resurrection bodies at the end of the age when Jesus comes again and all, all Christians receiving that, all believers receiving that at the same time and not immediately upon their individual deaths. And so, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He will come down from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is, they'll rise altogether first. And then we who are alive, whoever happens to be alive at that time, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's the goal, to be with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words, Paul says again at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. In other words, when Christ comes again, then the dead will re receive together their new resurrection bodies. And those who are still alive when he comes again will have their bodies transformed into new resurrection bodies without dying. And so if the building not made with hands, that is human hands, that is made by God himself is eternal, this building would seem to be heaven itself which brings believers into God's very presence. And this fits with Jesus's words that we read earlier in John chapter 14, verses one through three. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you also may be. 
So getting back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says in, second, in verses 2 and 3, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. In this tent, in our earthly bodies, in our physical body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. As we get older, and some of us, all of us are getting older, some of us are getting old, our bodies may cause us to groan with frustration. Our bodies are subject to death and to decay since the time of, of Adam's disobedience in which sin entered the world. And we are well aware of what this looks like as COVID-19 has taken so many lives in this past year and created so many other problems in this past year. And when we think of tents, which we can picture in our minds, we think of temporary dwellings that can be readily taken down. That's what tents are like. And that's what tents were like in Paul's day as well. Think of the tabernacle of Israel while they wandered in the wilderness. It could be taken down and put up so they continue moving and following God into the promised land ultimately. But Paul, who was not only a missionary, but he was a tent maker, he knew all about tents. Taking down a tent points not only to the end of our physical bodies, but it also to the end of our earthly existence. And Paul uses not only here the image of a tent and a building, but also he uses a second image here. And it's the image of clothing and nakedness. And we know what clothing and nakedness looks like. What does he mean by putting on our heavenly dwelling so that we may not be found naked? When the earthly body is destroyed, as, he mentioned, as he's mentioned here in verse 1, the soul enters a stage or a state of being unclothed or naked. Being naked is what happens at death when the body and the soul are separated. Theologians call this the intermediate state, the state in between our having our earthly bodies, which are subject to decay and death, and having our, our final resurrection bodies. In this intermediate state, we are disembodied souls. And so the prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. That is consistent with what Paul is teaching here in 2 Corinthians 5, that children's prayer. And in this sense, this would seem to apply to Jesus also. He died but didn't rise again from the dead until the third day. And yet he said to one of the criminals who was hanging on the cross near him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, says, Paul says this, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. What is Paul talking about here? And when he says we, he is likely referring to himself and the apostles, but what he says applies to all Christians. And so it's relevant for us as well. While we are still in this tent, while we're still living here on this earth in our physical bodies, we groan 
being burdened. We know what that's like. It's a fallen world. There is much broken. It's not working the way it's supposed to in this life. Whether it's sickness or isolation that's caused by the pandemic or the brokenness of our relationships or misplaced priorities or myriad other things. The goal or desire while we're here is not to be unclothed. It's not to become naked, to become disembodied souls. That's a temporary state. But the goal is that we would be further clothed. What does Paul mean by that, to be further clothed? Since it's wintertime still, we can understand this image of putting on additional clothing, being further clothed. We put on a winter coat over our clothes that we're already wearing because it's still cold outside. Spiritually speaking, those who are alive when Jesus comes again will not die. And therefore, we will not be, be unclothed if we're living when he comes again. The soul will not be separated from the body as he describes here. Instead, they will add, those who are still alive when Jesus comes again, will add a new resurrection body onto their already existing bodies. They will not die. Their bodies will not be raised because they didn't die, but they will be transformed. And as Paul is quoting from Isaiah 25, he says here in 2 Corinthians 5, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Our mortal bodies may be swallowed up or transformed as it was were by our new resurrection bodies. Now, this may seem like pretty heady material, and there is great mystery here, and there's not much more I can say beyond what I've just said here about how this works. There's a great mystery here. But Paul reminds us that this is not his idea. This is not his plan, but it's God's. Look at what he says in, in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He who has prepared this very thing is God. This isn't Paul's idea, but it's God's, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And again, he, he uses another image here to help us in our understanding. This is like a real estate transaction. The Holy Spirit is our earnest money deposit. If you are buying a house, the seller and likely the lender as well, if you're borrowing money, want to know that you're serious about buying the house. And so it, an earnest money deposit is required, a down payment is required. This is a pledge or a guarantee that the rest of the money will be paid to buy the rest of the house. It's forthcoming. The Holy Spirit is like this. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee, the pledge that those new resurrection bodies are coming. It's also the pledge that, that life in heaven after death, before those resurrection bodies come, is coming as well. The Holy Spirit is that guarantee, that pledge, that down payment. And Paul has already mentioned this idea of the Holy Spirit as a pledge or a guarantee in chapter 1, verse 22 of 2 Corinthians, where he said, and who has also put his seal, that is, God has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Because the Holy Spirit is at work in Paul's heart, he does not lose heart. 
That's our encouragement this morning, that we may not lose heart as well. The Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts. He's the guarantee or pledge that we might also not lose heart. More than that, that we might may be of good courage, as Paul says in verse 6. So we, he, Paul says of the apostles, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And this brings us to Paul's third picture or third image that he uses. The first one was of a tent or in a building of our earthly body and also of heaven. The second image was of clothing and, and nakedness. And he brings, this brings us to the third image, which is being at home or being away from home. And so when Paul says being at home or being away from home, it, this refers to being in one's country and being a, or being a stranger and living abroad. And when you are in your home country, you are likely to feel more at home. You know the customs, you know the language, you know the food, you understand the jokes. And while we're at home in the body, in these mortal bodies, we are away from God's presence. And therefore, Paul says that we walk by faith, not by sight. We can't, see, we can't see God at this time. We believe that he exists by faith. We see him and trust him through the eyes of faith, not through physical eyes. And one of the comments that Andrew Brunson made in the presentation on Friday evening was that one of the most difficult parts for him was the uncertainty of whether or when he would be released from prison, whether he'd ever make it out alive. And just the stress of that caused him to lose sleep. In his weaker moments, he even doubted the existence of God. He couldn't go by his feelings, though, or what he saw, because both his feelings and what he saw with his eyes suggested that he would never get out of prison and see his family again. And yet he did. Like the apostle, if we see only with our physical eyes, life can look pretty gloomy at times, perhaps today even, in the midst of this pandemic. But if we, like the apostle, learn to trust the God whom we cannot now see, but one day will see, he will take care of us. He who gave, gave and gives his spirit as our earnest money deposit, as our down payment, as our guarantee, who helps us. To believe. And so Paul says again in verse 8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Sometimes people speak as if heaven is more about being with lost loved ones or pets rather than being with God. And the Bible talks about it as being in God's presence, enjoying fellowship with God, knowing that he loves us, knowing that he loves you and that he loves me. In order to be at home with the Lord, we must first go through death, most of us, unless Jesus comes before we die. And that doesn't mean we kill ourselves because that will get us to heaven sooner. No, rather Paul says in verse nine, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Now, again, he may be speaking about the apostles when he says we make it our aim. But this should be the aim of all Christians, apostles, Corinthian Christians, 
Christians today living in Montgomery County. This is our purpose in life, our reason for being, to please God. And as the Westminster Divines put it in Catechism question number one, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Here Paul calls glorifying God, he says pleasing him. But the whole purpose of our being in his presence is to enjoy him, to delight in his company, to know that he loves us. And Paul is clear, we can't earn our way into heaven. It's only received as a gift from God. That's the only way to be admitted. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Christians do not do good works in order to earn our way to heaven. No, we do them because Jesus Christ has saved us. He has rescued us from our sins and delivered us. He's died for our sins so that we might live for him, to please him. That, that might be our new ambition in life, pleasing him. And although Christians are rescued from their sins by God's grace, his unmerited favor, we still need to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, of Jesus Christ, and give an account. That's how Paul ends this passage here in verse 10 of chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That could be confusing to you. We're saved by grace. How are we going to be judged here? But although Christians are saved by grace through faith, they are still accountable to God. We are still accountable to God for our, our words and our deeds and our thoughts as well. And we must keep this in, a while, in mind. It's another motivation for living to please him. We are all, apostles and everyone else, accountable to God for what we do and say and think. And there do seem to be rewards in heaven based on what we've done. Let me say that again. There do seem to be rewards in heaven based on what we've done. That's not how you get into heaven. You're saved by grace through faith. But nonetheless, there are rewards. And if you want more on this, we don't have time to look at it this morning. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. We are only admitted by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet we're accountable for what we do. So is there life after death? According to the Apostle Paul here in 2 Corinthians 5, the answer is a resounding yes. Jesus Christ and his works are what Paul is counting on with the help of the Holy Spirit, who is the earnest or the guarantee of the good things to come. That's what Paul is counting on to get him to heaven. And that's what we need to rely upon as well. This picture of heaven, though, gives us other motivations as well to keep going, to not lose heart, to be of good courage, even in difficult times. And so may God bless you and encourage you here this morning. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for these words of Paul, this 
testimony that he gives, or this hope that enables him to not lose heart, this hope of, of life in heaven, in God's presence, whether initially after death as a disembodied soul, but ultimately of a new, newly reconstituted resurrection body and soul that lives in God's presence and lives to please him and to enjoy him forever. Lord, we ask that you would help us to have hope in the midst of hard times, to have courage, to be strengthened in the midst of this pandemic even, that we might live with our aim, being to please you and to enjoy you forever. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I realize that, that I, I'm, we next have a confession of faith, and I've made a mistake. Yes, I know it happens regularly. It's not my first mistake today, but it's going to be the most obvious because I don't have a copy of the confession of faith in front of me, and so I need to look at the screen, uh, even as you do. And so I'm going to need to take the microphone, I think, and move so I can see it. So let me do that. You won't see me any longer, I don't think. And you can... Uh, just listen to this, because this is not going to be a f familiar confession of faith to you, I think. So just listen to the words, unless you want to read them silently, muted where you are. But here's what the Westminster Confession of Faith says, written in, 16, in the 1640s. This is what it says about the state of men, men and women, after death and of the resurrection. And this is just one of the points in there. But it says, the bodies of men and women, after death, return to dust and then I can't see the other part of it after that. But their souls, oh, Carrie's going to help me here, uh, return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledgeth none. It's referring there to purgatory. There, it doesn't acknowledge purgatory or any other such place. <clears throat> 